Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello GM Divas, William here. We are taking a very short break this week to recharge our D, to polish our tumblers with heavy bottoms and incredibly delicate rims. We're having a sojourn, if you will. That's a very upmarket way of saying a short break. There's a little wacky word uh, for the week for you. And instead of hearing our dulcet tones this week, we thought you might enjoy my episode of Yours Sincerely, with the MP Jess Phillips. Went out uh, a few months ago, and Jess's podcast, which is, I'm reliably informed, is not only produced, but it's executive produced by producer Ben. He doesn't executive produce us. He leaves his executive talents for other podcasts, and this is one of them. Jess and I had a lovely chat all about letter writing. She is a big letter writer. As you know, I am. Some of you might have received letters from me in the past. If you, of course, want to write in, as ever, the address is on the website, sexedmyboss.com. So please enjoy this slightly different edition of Help I Sexed My Boss today, and uh, let me know what you think, either by tweeting us, sending us a message on Instagram, or as would be in keeping with the podcast, sending in a letter. Hello, my name is Jess Phillips, and this is yours sincerely. At the start of the very first lockdown, in my work as an MP, I was seeing lots of my constituents who were losing loved ones to COVID-19 without a chance to say one last goodbye. It got me thinking about what I would say to my husband and kids if I never got a chance to tell them how much I loved them. So I wrote them each a letter. I still keep it in a safe place. I've always been a prolific letter writer, both the good and bad kind, and know the power of putting words on paper. So in this podcast, I want to give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. And when we've heard more about each person, they'll reveal how they would sign off each letter. William Hansen is an author, podcast host, and the UK's leading etiquette coach. He's appeared on programmes for the BBC, Sky and ITV, talking about etiquette, civility and politeness. He also co-hosts the podcast Help I Sexted My Boss with BBC Radio 1 presenter Jordan North. And today I'm excited to talk to him about the letters he would send to three people who mean the world to him. William, how are you? I'm very well, Jess, and you? I'm very well, notwithstanding you you have walked into a tree, you just told me, <laughs> and have a slash yes. on your head. Yeah, I, I, I hate people that walk and text. Normally if you're in front of them and they sort of, because they slow down or they don't look or they're coming towards you and they don't see that you're walking towards them and nobody can do it correctly <laughs> or any properly. And yesterday I, I did what I hate and walk and text and walked into a tree. So it serves, serves me right, really. It really does serve you right. Yeah. I have to say, as somebody 
somebody who has to often rush around Westminster and I have to, I'm often like, I'm rushing to another bit of Whitehall to go to a meeting that I'm inevitably late for. And the people <laughs> who stop on the streets of London, it doesn't happen in Birmingham, I'm going to say. I, I've never noticed this phenomenon. But around Westminster is full of people either stopping to take photos of things. I understand it's quite beautiful, although covered in scaffolding. Just stop in front of you. I don't think that you deserve to be hit by a tree in the face. <laughs> but I'm also not that sympathetic. No, well, I won't do it again. I mean, it's, it's taught me a lesson. So that's... <laughs> That's fine. I mean, at least, if nothing else, we've learned the lesson. Well, I hope you're well other, other than that. Yes, fine. I'm going to go and cut down a tree after this. <laughs> oh, that's what we used to do with my kids when little. Like, if they hurt themselves, we'd tell off the thing. We'd be like, oh, naughty tree you you walked into. Well, I used, I used slightly stronger language. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. So this podcast is all about writing letters. Are you much of a letter writer? Yes, I'm prolific. Oh, good. Mm. No, I love, I much prefer a letter. Certainly a thank you letter is generally what I will do, or a, not a compliment slip, but you know, when you're sort of, you're sending something to someone, it's much nicer just to put a little note, even if you've emailed them to say it's coming to them. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. It was my birthday at the weekend and uh, I turned 40. I know I don't look it. I got like a parcel from one of my friends, one of my closest, dearest friends. And inside the thing just said, from Matthew Hamilton, he did not select to have wrapping. It's <laughs> just like this printed note that just was like, selected Amazon packaging. I was just like, oh, how thoughtful. Yes, how lovely. <laughs> Obviously a close friend. It was a, a delightful present, though. It was a raclette grill. I ate raclette for dinner last night. Oh, Rick, gosh. So I think you're right. It's nice to have a little handwritten note. It's nicer. It's the personal touch. And I think letters or handwritten letters... And actually, I do quite like a business letter typed, but I always top and tail it by hand. Do you do, now as an MP? Do you do you do that at all? Well, so I used to sign them all by hand, but I mean, let's just say something like there's a campaign about bees, and when I say let's just say that, that is always the case. There is always thousands <laughs> of people writing to me about. There's nothing I don't know about neonicotinoids and how they're affecting the bee population. <laughs> And I will get something like 800 in a day. And I used to sit at the end of the day and read through all the correspondence and sign them all. But I, I have to say, I don't do that now necessarily. They sign it for me, my staff. Yeah, they. it's like, you know, like just a signature that gets printed onto it. But mostly, actually, in anything that is outside of just like a campaign that's being run by a campaign group. I do tend to try and have oversight and top and tell that, especially if it's to somebody you know a little bit. Like I, sometimes I see emails that my staff have written back to people who I've known all my life and live <laughs> in my constituency. Some of them might be related to me. And they've written like, Dear Miss Jones, thank you for your email. And I just think, oh, God, that's my auntie. You can't talk to her <laughs> like that. And so I write, yes. hi, Ange. How are you? Yeah. On the top of the... <laughs> That sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, I think it is important. Do you have any uh, special letters that you've kept from the past? Do you have, like, a, a treasure box of special letters? I do, well, I have I have a treasure box concept. I actually need to do something about the box bit. But I'm in the process of... Well, we've, we've sort of upgraded the study and uh, still things are in sort of little document wallets that actually probably long-term they need to be in sort of boxes. So I, ha I have got a collection of letters, particularly from my grandmother or friends that have written to me and it's a nice letter that, that means a lot. If it's ha if it's not handwritten, I mean, I don't bother keeping it. But uh, yes, I do I do have 
some that are important. I have one friend, George, who has who can write in six different fonts. Uh, <laughs> yes. George sounds like a fascinating character. Yeah, yeah, fascinating is one word for him. Um, <laughs> but yes, he, he, he has great handwriting and you would think it was from six different people if you looked at six of his letters. So he just has six different sorts of handwriting or does, has he committed to learning specific fonts? Apparently he's fond of an everyday italic. That's what he normally says. <laughs> he normally writes a, a right-skewed italic. It's his standard. But he will he will change it. In fact, it was, it was mentioned in his wedding speech by his best man that he's very proud of his different handwriting styles. Oh, George. He could maybe baffle. I don't know how real this is, but you see it in court-based dramas. And I've spent a lot of time in the courts of the United Kingdom and I, I've never seen this, but maybe he could baffle like a handwriting specialist. <laughs> yes, he possibly could be. He's the sort of person that would quite take great pleasure in being able to do that and get away with it. Well, Hopefully this will one day be used as evidence in a trial that says we all knew George could use many different yes. handwriting <laughs> styles. So his defence that that isn't his handwriting, I'm hoping George isn't a murderer or, or going to be involved in any high court <laughs> drama. No, and remember, if you're listening, Your Honour, to this in court, don't forget to subscribe and rate and review. <laughs> I'd love, I'd love if someone said that as part of their evidence in the <laughs> courtroom. Like and subscribe, Your Honour. That would be absolutely excellent. Wow. I mean, George sounds like a fascinating fella. Mm. Yes, no, he is. He's, he's got a lot of time on his hands, clearly. <laughs> Have you got any letters from really famous people? I had somebody come on this podcast who had a letter from Nelson Mandela, which I was not expecting. And it was a slightly, what he was suggesting, it was Benjamin Zevenai, it was a slightly sort of terse letter, like they'd had a bit of a row. <laughs> Um, do I have any letters? I mean, I have a greetings card from Christopher Biggins. That's probably about as famous as we go. Can I just say, that's the pinnacle. I... <laughs> I... I'm in a WhatsApp group that has Christopher Biggins and Nicola Sturgeon in it. Oh, my God. <laughs> what the heck is that group called? <laughs> it's also got some other really random people in it. It's basically... We were, there was a show in Edinburgh run by Ian Dale, the LBC presenter. Yes, 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 yes. And he did, like, in conversations with, like, a whole host of different people. It was like... So I was one of them. Christopher Biggins was one of them. The Hamiltons was one of them. Nicholas Sturgeon was one of them. And he put us all in this WhatsApp group together, which was naughty. I think Nicholas Sturgeon did the absolute modern-day diss of, like, Nicholas Sturgeon has left the group. Uh, very shortly afterwards, but I am still in the WhatsApp group because, and the main reason I stay in that WhatsApp group is because Christopher Biggins is in it. <laughs> exactly. Nicola Sturgeon was very keen on independence. She took that, <laughs> she took that very literally. She loves to exit a group. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think Christopher Biggins, I mean, he inspired me to stay in a WhatsApp group with Neil Hamilton. So, you know, exactly. well, I, I, I think he's the yeah. pinnacle. <laughs> Yes, who needs terse letters from Mandela? <laughs> Absolutely. Biggins is a genius. Brilliant. So, in this podcast, is all about writing letters that celebrate people who matter to us. 
notwithstanding George and I mean maybe your letters are to George and no they're not I'm afraid George (laughs) (laughs) that would be quite the turn up one day I want someone who comes on this to write a letter to Christopher Biggins (laughs) it can be arranged (laughs) (laughs) let's get him on maybe he can write it to himself so I asked you to prepare three letters sort of for different people Uh, and we're going to start with the person who means the world to you so who is your first letter for Well, it's for my parents. Now, I know that might be a bit of a cheat because that's two people. I'm going to allow it. I'm not... Okay, thank you. This isn't Desert Island Discs where if you say that you want a grand piano, they're going to put their foot down. You can send it to your parents. Okay, good. They are... They still, you know, they live together, they're together, they're both alive. So I feel that they would read it at the same time. Okay, fine. So it's one... Basically, it's an efficiency. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. I mean, why waste paper? (laughs) So so I could write the letter twice, but I, I will write it to them. And I've written it to them because they have, I think we probably all go through this with our, with our parents. When you're growing up, you feel, oh, my parents, or they're always saying no, or why aren't they letting me do this? And I, I was apparently quite a good child. I mean, I really wasn't a problem. I didn't particularly rebel massively. So I didn't cause them too much aggro, but still, you know, as a teenager, hormones are raging, etc. So... Whereas actually now I think, gosh, all all of the values that I have, I can basically pinpoint to to one or or both parent. And, you know, I like to think that I'm doing all right and I'm fine and I'm quite a nice, well-rounded individual. And I put that down to them, really. And I think we probably, you know, something I'd like for them to know before it is too late. And what are your parents' names? They are Brian, with an I, and Sarah. Are they both Hanson as well? They are both Hanson. They yes. are both Hanson, Sarah Hanson uh, and Brian Hanson. So when you say you would like to write that letter to tell them before it's too late, have you never sat down with your parents and said, I just cannot thank you enough for, you know, turning me into a thoroughly decent person? No, and I feel really bad that I haven't done that at the age of 30... To, oh, what am I, 32? Now, I'm getting married next year. That might be a good time to do it. Maybe the night before I get married, that might be a, an opportune moment. Um, I can remember when I my first book came out, I wrote in it, and I feel terrible about this, and thankfully the book was then reissued with a different cover, so I gave them another copy and changed what I wrote in the second edition. I wrote in the first book, because sort of my parents had joked, where, where on earth did you get all this etiquette from, blah, blah, blah. Um, not from them. So I wrote in it, you know, to mummy and daddy who taught me absolutely nothing that's within this book, Love William, which I thought was funny. But actually, the more I think about it, you know, if, when the moment comes and I'm looking through their possessions, I'm going to read it and go, oh, that was really mean. <laughs> so because they have, they've taught me a lot. So they joke that it's their joke that they haven't taught me anything that I now teach, but they have. And so what impact have they had on your life then? Obviously, other than, you know, creating you for a start off, that was quite a big deal. It's quite a big role. Yeah, quite a big deal. Well, at, at school, I was given this this sort of award when I left. And actually, the characteristics on that trophy I was thinking about before I spoke to you probably sum up my parents, probably. And it was the award for generosity, gentleness, dedication and loyalty. Oh. My God, that's quite an award. Yeah, it's quite an award. It's the prize they gave to people that, you know, didn't do very well academically or in sports. So that's why I got it. Although, um, always tries his best. Yes, exactly. Suck uh, the up, the suck up award. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, in my school that was saying totally different, but let's not go there. I was given that. And I think, yes, they are. They're ve- my father is incredibly generous. And, and Mikey, my fiancé, will, will say that I get that from him. 
in that I do try and sort of make sure that everyone's got everything and doesn't really, unless it's their turn, need to pay for anything or I'll treat them to things or I'll give far too much of my time. My father's very dedicated to what he does and has been and technically a chartered surveyor by qualification, but he hasn't actually, as he will say, he hasn't done any surveyancing since his surveyancing exams. So um, he hasn't done that, but he sort of sort of it does lots of student property and buys. He's a land agent, really, is I think really what you would call it. Buys land, sells it on uh, to things, but he does lots of volunteering for for politics and things like that. I'm going to shock you here, Jess. It is the other side of the church. I'm afraid. I, yeah. I, I mean, I am so shocked. This is brand new information. I just thought I'd rip that plaster off. <laughs> I'd like your dad. Your dad and my dad could hang out. My dad is basically Lenin. Uh, <laughs> also very generous, my father. Yeah. Um, you know, generosity of spirit. Funnily enough, yesterday I went into my office and uh, I had a birthday card. Um, and it was, I opened it and it was from, and they'd spent £4.95 on this card because the sticker was still on. I don't know whether they left it on on purpose, but I thought, that's a pricey card. And it was, it said... To Jess, from the Solihull Tory Research Group, we're not all the same. We hope you had a lovely birthday. And I thought, that is so nice. What a lovely, thoughtful thing to do. Um, so, you know, I, I, you know, I, the generosity of spirit is not something that is owned by one tribe of people. No, no, absolutely, exactly. So my mother is incredibly loyal. Uh, and my father is as well. I mean, that sounds that makes it sound that my father isn't. But my my mother is very loyal, and uh, if she if she likes someone or if you are her friend, she will defend you. She doesn't join in with gossip. Uh, if you tell her a secret, or if her friends tell her a secret, thus it remains. She doesn't even. I don't think even would tell my father. So she's she's very very loyal. And if if someone if she hears someone being disloyal that will set her off. And they're both very gentle. You know, they're not demonstrative. They're not huge, great big sort of, you know, blokey. My father's such a blokey bloke and my mother's not some sort of battle axe. Um, they're just them. I think that the um, the art of the simple, and I don't mean to call your parents simple, no. uh, <laughs> <laughs> the art of wearing something lightly, to put it in a nicer term, and being deaf of approach is something that is lost in the sort of multimedia culture that we live in now where, you know, everyone must have an opinion on absolutely everything and say it with with fervour and strength. I mean, I am obviously a, uh, you know, sort of massive gobshite, but, and most of my politics comes from my parents who definitely their approach was a sort of deafness of and reverence to a quiet approach, actually, and uh, not being demonstrative about things. And I have not, I definitely did not learn that from them, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but I think that the value of people who wear things lightly is not as well regarded as it should be in modern society. I think you're absolutely right. And, and yeah, and, and politically, you know, I don't agree necessarily with everything that my... Well, I, my, I think my, my mother would sort of probably just say that she'll she'll do as she's told. So in that way, she's quite traditional. But uh, in terms of, you know, my father's belief systems, we don't massively talk about politics. That's really James, my brother, and, and my father's department. But, yeah, we're, we're similar, but not... He, 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 he can accept lots of views from other opinions and... Most people can. We've yeah. forgotten that. We've forgotten that. Yes. Most people can. Most people can accept disagreement we, we we live in a world where we think no one can disagree with each other but people are disagreeing with each other all the time 
Yes, exactly. No, if we were all the same, it would be very dull. So, Brian and Sarah, you haven't told them yet how much they mean to you, but you're you're planning on it at your wedding. I hope they don't listen to this so that it doesn't ruin it. They, I don't think they know what a podcast is. I mean, I do, I do two of my own. I still don't think they really understand what it is. My brother works in radio. They understand that because it's sort of, you know... Do they call it the wireless? Uh, no, no, they don't. They're not that backward. Um, <laughs> my dad does. He's oh, really? very backward. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they call it the radio. Also helped by the fact that, you see, conventional radio, you can get on, you know, you just turn the radio on and it, it's there on the FM transmitters. But for podcasts, you generally need Wi-Fi or good signal on your 4G, 5G, etc. Where my parents live, there's none of that. You can't really connect to the internet. You can't read on your phone. The Wi-Fi is one megabyte. It's terrible. So that sort of bars them from the world of podcasts. Maybe they want to be barred, but maybe they should get in touch with the Conservative government and suggest that they improve the Wi-Fi connection where they live. They're always going on about gigabits, my gigabit future or something. (laughs) Maybe your parents need to campaign harder for the gigabit future to reach them. Yes, the alternative is they move, and I think that might be simpler. It will be a touching moment when you tell them. Do you not tell them because it's um, talking to anyone about feelings is quite hard? Yeah, I, I think so. It's not very British. And we don't, sort of, you know, we do say we love you and we hug and, and kiss a lot. That's that sort of, that's as much as we go. But that sort of almost surface emotion, actually saying, gosh, you mean so much to me. You've made me who I am, etc." I'm almost getting slightly teary thinking about it. And when I probably do it... Um, it'll probably be quite emotional. I think my, my father will probably go before my mother. But yes, I'll, I'll do it. I've, I've got a few months to psych myself up, yeah. But, I mean, do you think that you do it in a different way, though? Like Because like very rarely do people go around, you know, professing love and emotion at people that they love and feel very grateful to. to. But, you know, a lot of time, my love language is just to take the piss out of my family in a way that I wouldn't do with other people. And that's the genuine love language. My dad always says I'm only really mean to the people I properly love. Yes, yeah. Well, I, and, and there's a lot of that in our family. I think we're particularly with my uncles is that we're we're quite rude to each other, um, <laughs> but we do have a great affection. So I hope that they are just like I, I hope you get everything back that you are hoping for, or they're just like, oh, for God's sake, this is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I don't think they'll be like that. But I, I, could, I, I always remember watching lots. You know, when I was sort of sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, we'd we'd watch. You know, like I got into Desperate Housewives and spooks and things like that and I remember sort of you know you, you if you like sh- I like sharing things that I've found with um people that mean a lot to me in my life and we'd sort of we put on an episode you know someone's house would blow up or someone would be shot on a doorstep a big a significant moment credits would roll and my parents just go ah and then just get up and get on with their life <laughs> And it's like, do you not want to say anything else? Do you, should we not talk about that? So, whereas actually, with my partner Mikey or my fiance Mikey and I, we we will just go. Oh my gosh, that was amazing! Gosh, oh poor Susan, blah blah blah. Whereas my parents are just being, oh. <laughs> and just carry on. So I don't know if they do, but I think it's, it's sort of semi-generational. I think we're getting better in this country with sort of being able to talk about emotions. Right. Okay. So how would you sign off your letter to Brian and Sarah, which we're allowing you to send one letter to them? How would you sign off your letter? I would sign it with far too much love, emotion and thanks to ever express in any form that's not too un-British. Oh, I like it. Because I feel that that's enough. 
Yeah, and also it speaks to your personal relation with them that isn't the same as the way other people... <laughs> like, you know, we'll remain British, but I do love you. <laughs> yeah, and I tell them that I love them pretty much most days. So I don't feel putting in writing. It would be like, well, I do that elsewhere. So I don't feel that I need to sign off the letter with, I love you, Mummy and Daddy. Yeah. Kiss. There aren't enough opportunities, really, in life, apart from weddings. I often think, because I got married really young... And I've got lots of friends now that weren't my friends then. That I need like an event to make a speech about them. <laughs> I need to update the speech like every ten years. We should all just have like a every ten years like a a thank you party where you get to make a speech and thank people. Cheers for always being around. And but there aren't really that many. It's like in secular life, not enough opportunity for group singing for my liking. Yes. Well, that's that's why God gave us the X Factor. <laughs> But I don't get invited to join in a crowd and sing at the X Factor. And as a heathen, I, you know, I am very, very drawn towards the church for the for the group singing element of it. Oh, it's good. Well, again, we're going we're going through sort of what hymns should we have at our blessing. And although we're not atheists, but we're not necessarily card carrying members of of any particular for the Church of England. But we do, we love it. We love a hymn. I mean, it's probably my public school upbringing that you know we a good goy hymn. You say your public school upbringing. I went to a very to a primary school in uh, what was then uh, like you know uh, deprived area of Birmingham, and we all sang hymns. But my children don't, and I genuinely think it's a bit of a deficit. Like my children don't know Christmas carols and don't know like we were listening in the car the other day, and the Spotify thing threw up Cat Stevens' "Morning Is Broken," and they didn't. <laughs> the words i was i was like horrified i was like how did you not have to sing morning is broken every morning at school and they didn't know they don't know like all things bright and beautiful and things and i know like four versions of it oh i didn't know there were oh yeah there's there's different music the words remain the same terrible class divide (laughs) with every version the rich man in the castle the poor man at the gate uh my father used to point out to me that line when i was a child that this is that don't let them control you with their songs (laughs) (laughs) did you do that awful shine jesus shine at uh, yes shine jesus shine I mean, it was. We kind of liked it at school, but now it's it's. Yeah, I mean, I said to, I said to the rector that's doing our service. I said, "Oh, we're toying with shine Jesus shine." I said it as a joke, and the look <laughs> of horror on his face. We did really woke ones as well, and it, which would be written about by the Daily Mail now if they, if if it were today. But it was under Mrs Thatcher. So uh, under Mrs Thatcher, we sang one that called "The Ink Is Black, The Page Is White." Together, we learned to read and write. And then the line was the alphabet of liberty. I mean, this would have a field day now. Gosh. It was all about race relations. Wow, Okay. well, that's good. Mrs Thatcher was overseeing woke education. This is the kind of thing that would be included in a speech by Boris Johnson. Nowadays, if this were happening, it would be considered to be, you know, the snowflake generation. But that was Mrs Thatcher, so... We'll reassess Margaret Thatcher. (laughs) Yeah, Margaret Thatcher, woke, question mark. (laughs) Clearly. I think that's quite an easy question to answer. (laughs) Right then, so, Brian and Sarah, we have written to them with some British love. Uh, sending to Brian and Sarah, who sound lovely, and I, I really enjoy people who just go, oh, yeah, mm. after watching <laughs> something really mesmeric. Oh, that was nice, dear. So, for the second letter, we have asked you to write a letter to somebody who is no longer around. So, this is to my maternal grandmother. 
She was called Kathleen, but everyone called her Kay. And she had very, very strong opinions on pretty much everything. Uh, came from a, a working class background in the Lake District. She moved down south. She met my grandfather in Guildford, which is obviously not working class Lake District territory, uh, and lived happily ever after. Um, but Granny gave me my first etiquette book when I was 12 for Christmas, which is what really inadvertently launched. The, I mean, I wouldn't be speaking to you today if Granny hadn't have done that. And I don't know, you know, she didn't give me this book and go, I'm going to give you this book because... With the foresight yes. of, of the ages. In, in 20 years' time, you're going to be on a, on a Labour MPs podcast, and I want you to... <laughs> I really want you to, to do that. I don't think she, she knew. And she gave it to me because I think, apparently... I, well, I mean, I find this hard to believe, Jess, but I was quite a precocious child. <laughs> uh, thank, thank you. And so she... And she was... Apparently, she was given a similar book when she was growing up. And she didn't give... Uh, interestingly, she didn't give my mother or her other two children in his kept book. Maybe she regretted that. Um, so she thought, well, I'll nip this in the bud for future generations. Um, so she gave me this book and, and sort of made me read it because she would stay with us at Christmas and would come up and say, have you read anything? Have you read any of it yet? And I sort of thought, oh, I better just read a section to be polite so I can go. Oh, and I remember the very first bit was about asparagus uh, and how to eat asparagus. I read that bit and I remember saying, oh, you know, I've read, I've learnt this. And then the next section I think I read was on answering the telephone. But actually this book was quite funny. It was quite acerbic. It was quite catty. And that appealed to my um, personality. And so I read the whole thing and thought it was fantastic. But it posed lots of questions as to like, well, why do we do certain... You know, don't just tell me to do something. I want to know why we do it. And so I just started to buy more etiquette books, basically, in order to find out the answers and found that this subject, unlike geography or physics at school, was sticking. And thus, here we are today, basically. But I don't... So I'm not convinced that she knew. She did see my career start and, and do quite well. Um, but again, I don't I have no idea whether she actually... I don't think she disapproved. But again, emotion, you know, she didn't go, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you gosh, this is amazing, you've invented a career in, in effect, sort of, I mean, I hadn't, but in effect invented a career. You know, I've become, become a plumber or something, which is a great job, but sort of, you know, there's a template. Yeah, there's not many... I can't say I have ever met an etiquette specialist other than you. Are people terrified to do things in front of you? They can Like, be. eat dinner. Do people not invite you to eat dinner? Because in case you'll be like... Because the catty and acerbic thing, it, it appeals to... All, I mean, that... That is a broad appeal, I would say. People like that. But I would, yeah, I, I might be a bit anxious. I sometimes feel anxious when I'm in a, a posh dinner thing, like I'm Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman. <laughs> well, actually, going back to my parents, I can remember as a child, they, they and they're probably instrumental as well. They are instrumental in, in my career. But um, they would sort of age seven or eight, they would tell me to, if they were having a dinner... I'd go and answer the door to their friends and take their friends' coats and show show them through into into a drawing room or something, and um, that was fine. And then when I started teaching etiquette age seventeen at school, they banned me. We come from different worlds. <laughs> <laughs> but my parents then banned me. They said you're not allowed to come anywhere. We're having a dinner party. Can you stay at school, please? Because <sighs> you'll put the guests off. 
So it sort of it went from one extreme to the other. I my my mum used to when people came over to our house for dinner, uh, my or I went to somebody else's house for dinner, like even just like you know potato waffles after school at, at you know Lucy's house. My mum used to tell me to say. Um, Thank you very much for having me. We must do this again, except at my house. And like, I had to, like, I had this drummed into me that this was the thing that you said as you left somebody's house. We must do this again, except at my house. Like, I, what I was saying that to Lucy's mom. Like, <laughs> Lucy's mom's never coming around for dinner at my house. But I, I kind of like that because that's also quite passive aggressive. You could, depending on how you, the inflection you give that. Uh, we must do this again, except at my house. <laughs> we must, and it, there it will be nicer. Yes. Uh, so I, I kind of I kind of like that phrase. Yeah. But yes, being collected if it was granny or granddad or parents collecting me from someone's house, if I didn't at the door turn around and go, thank you so much for having me, Mr and Mrs Phillips, or, or whatever, I'd get like a jolt in the back. And I have to say, I actually think it's much more, in my experience of working class people of your granny's generation... Um, this idea that sort of, I, I don't know where really it comes from, probably just sort of media representations, the idea that working class people are slobby and uh, it is my experience that the most polite and the most um, obsessive actually about etiquette and right and wrong were the working class sort of war era women that I grew up with, that this was very much like a sort of standard that they held themselves and other people to. And it did make them, a lot of the time, seem a bit catty and a bit snobby. (laughs) Um, But I would say it's actually a really working-class tradition. Yeah, uh, I I think so. And I think that at the time, and this has sort of been lost, I I believe, but at the time, you know, Granny... And her father in particular, you know, you were there was nothing wrong in trying to better yourself and to try and get, you know, Granny worked very hard to get into the grammar school. None of her friends did, but she got into the grammar school because she applied and then she went to nursing college and then she moved to, to well, just outside of London. And that wasn't taboo. Whereas sort of now it's sort of like, oh, well, no, you've got to sort of know that this is your lot. You've got to like it. If you try and change yourself or, or whatever, then it's um, it's wrong. And I, I think that is wrong. When people sometimes are like, oh, you're just a member of the establishment now, I think of my nan and I think she'd be chuffed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my nan would be like, that's my bab. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. She would be pleased. Yeah, so I, and I, it, it, is, it is quite a sort of grown generation working class thing. And I remember we, I'd learned to, when I passed my test, I drove her home from my parents one evening. It was the first time. And as we sort of drove past the, the kitchen window, um, I sort of, honked my horn to sort of and waved and granny's hand shot out and and held the steering wheel on my hand and said don't do that it's very north country <laughs> i thought well you are from the north country but obviously that's why she knew it was very north country <laughs> so you don't ever i've never honked the horn and waved ever again in my life because it's very north oh gosh I, I well as somebody you know i mean i'm not from the north i am from the midlands but i, I honk and wave <laughs> on a regular basis you, you, your granny was right. We're all at it up here. <laughs> you can't move in Birmingham for honking. You can't, and I mean, literally, the honking. How, how would she have fared in New York? I mean, the level of horn honking that goes on in New York is, <laughs> is un- unsightly. 
I don't think they're waving. It's other gesticulations in New York with the, with the honking, I think. It's just like, why does everyone... Like, people beep as they go round a corner. I'm like, I can see you. <laughs> like, stop with the aggressive beeping all the time. There's maybe too many people walking and texting and walking into tree oh, branches. Yes. That's what it is. So do you think that your granny... Obviously, you said that she lived to see your career, some of it. Did she know that you were sort of in her image? Yes, I, I think so. I think I, I think she did. I think she knows that I was quite... You know, my, my other grandmother I, I loved to pieces and was incredibly stylish, and, and maybe that's where sort of bits of it have also come from, but certainly from an etiquette point of view, maternal granny, etiquette granny, as she sort of now referred to, was, was probably more formative uh, in young William. Um, and suppose, there's this story, supposedly, of, again, my grandparents would always have a glass of wine of an evening and there would obviously only be one bottle open and supposedly when I was sort of five she said we were in the kitchen cooking and granny said to me go and ask granddad if he'd like a glass of wine so I did granddad said yes I got halfway back from their sitting room into the kitchen and apparently went oh silly me and ran back to my grandfather and went granddad red or white because my parents would have two bottles of wine because my mother prefers red and my father prefers white. Uh, and Granny thought this was hysterical, that a five-year-old was, was aware that, you know, should it be red or white? That, you know, whereas Grandad was just used to having whatever was open. So do you think in this moment she was proud of you? Absolutely. <laughs> so she, I, I imagine she thought, oh, this one will be all right. This one will I'll be fine. I'll give him an etiquette book at the age of 12. Yeah, although age 16, I think we were at a wake up in the North Country. And she introduced... <laughs> it's like Game of Thrones, the way you say that. <laughs> she introduced me to someone that she was at school with, I think, who I think was like a, a local mayor or, or something sort of local governmenty. And I said, oh, hello, pleased to meet you. And Granny afterwards told me, never so pleased to meet you to someone you've never met. It's how do you do? And was, was very cross. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So you say, well, who do you say pleased to meet you to? Well, people that you are aware of, but if they're a complete stranger... Oh, I see. ...that you have pleased literally just met, you had no idea they existed, well, you don't know you're pleased to meet them. They could be vile. The first thing you've said to them is a lie, because you're not that pleased to meet them. It's, it's sort of... It's, it's going back to what we were saying about emotion, isn't it? You don't you don't have an emotional connection to them. So at the end of a meeting, you could say, well, it's so lovely to meet you. Yeah, because you try and tell the truth is yes. what your granny is saying. But if you don't know who they are and you don't know they existed, hello, how do you do, or just hello is fine. I've got to say, I've never said how do you do in my life, I don't think. <laughs> uh, how do you do? Wow, your granny sounds like both an absolute piece of work and a, <laughs> and a total broad. Yes, she, uh, again, the famously, at my parents' wedding, I wasn't there, obviously, but the... My, before when they got married or got, got engaged, my grandmother really wanted Psalm one two one, which is a funeral psalm. Apparently, it's a psalm that generally is I lift up my eyes to the hills or something. It's generally said at funerals. And my father, obviously, this is his soon to be mother in law, said, "No, I'm not having a funeral psalm at my wedding. Thanks very much." Uh, and so on the and sort of Granny seemed a bit disgruntled about this, but accepted it. And on the day, my parents are standing at the altar at Bristol Cathedral, and my. And the sort of the dean, I think it was, of uh, that was or the canon, who was doing the service, suddenly said, "And now, the choir will sing Psalm one two one." And we don't quite know what went on, but Granny, who went to Bristol Cathedral regularly to sort of to to worship, had obviously collared the canon and said, "You will get the." the choir to sing Psalm 121. And my father t was so cross and t to Granny's dying day, never spoke about it. And I said when she died, I went, you want to do a wedding hymn at the funeral? <laughs> Just to really piss her off, um, which she did find quite funny. 
Oh my god. Like I say, I've got such begrudging respect for people who are a bit of a piece of work. I just think that it's just so, it's just brilliant. She sounds She was a force to be reckoned with. Granny Kathleen sounds excellent. That like maybe if she was your mother-in-law, you might not appreciate quite so much, but um, if she, you know, she just sounds like a a character from a book. She sounds brilliant. Yeah, she's she's a character that maybe, maybe there aren't that sort of strong characters. I don't know of that ilk. Yeah, it's a different. Well, it's just it's just a generational thing. It's changed. The, the character is still there, but just it doesn't necessarily present in the same way. But yeah, she sounds awesome. So, how would you sign off your letter to Granny Kathleen? I hope with completely perfect etiquette. <laughs> uh, well, it's probably quite a long sign off, but I would say. I will always be forever grateful that, together with your strong views and opinions over the years, the Christmas present you once gave me, probably on a whim, inadvertently launched the career I now have. Much love, as always, William. Oh, I really want, wish I'd met Granny Kathleen. I, <laughs> I would like to, I'd like to be given the opportunity for her to be appalled by me. <laughs> yeah, well, and she probably would say something afterwards. She would she would always comment about newsreaders on television. She, she's not very polished. And it was always female newsreaders. She did, to be honest, she wasn't very pro-women. <laughs> well, to be honest, I have to say there is, um, there's a deep vein of that sort of internalised patriarchy in, in that generation of women. She, no, she was, she was sort of, you know, women are teachers, secretaries, nurses sort of that sort of your your scope she nearly left the church of england when they allowed um female vicars i believe i was too young to remember this this is what i just get told but she, she she remained and she got over it and actually come the end of her life there was a female preacher or, or one of the sort of staff at the cathedral that regularly conducted the communion and actually granny really liked her come the end so you know she she got there bless her Honestly, she sounds like an, like I say, an absolute piece of work, and I don't say that in, uh, <laughs> in necessarily a derogatory. Uh, so I like a piece of work. The final letter we have asked you to write is the one that you would send to somebody who played an important role in your life, but maybe didn't ever know that they had, uh, it might be somebody you've not. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Met or uh, somebody who has been significant but doesn't know it. Well, I have chosen uh, Dame Agatha Christie. 
for this letter. <laughs> I presume you didn't meet her. I did not meet her, no. I think, I think she died. <laughs> I think she long dead by the time long, you were born. Long dead by the time I was born. But she, obviously, you know, I love her because of her books. The ones she wrote as Agatha Christie, not under the pseudonym, which were sort of the non-murder mystery ones. And I sort of discovered her books age 14, 15, I think, when I was at school. Um, and I can remember my friend Matthew came over and we were sort of looking in a DVD store or something. I think DVDs were relatively new at the time. And he suggested we get a Poirot to watch that evening. And I had never watched Poirot or even was aware of what that was. And I was very snooty. I was like, I don't, want to, I don't know what that is. And Matthew persisted and said, no, 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 you'll like it, you'll like it, you'll like it. And I did, I loved it. So then after that, I then thought, well, I'll, I'll go to the source material and I'll, I'll read the books. And it was, to be perfectly honest, at the time, I was sort of having a bit of a rough time at school. I mean, generally, I had quite a nice time at school. Um, but, you know, there was a lot of, you know, gay stuff that was sort of going on and children can be so cruel. And I would, during any sort of long break on Fridays, bizarrely, I really don't know why, Fridays in my school, between one o'clock and four o'clock, you did nothing. And then you had lessons at four. Just put the lessons in that gap and we can all go home or go back to the dorms. Or... Bizarre. The long gaps and even lunch breaks and even sometimes, you know, the, the 20 minute sort of mid-morning break were, I saw them sadly as opportunities for the people that were being nasty to be nasty to me because there was no control of a, of a classroom and so I would just go and run away and hide in the library basically and the library had a lot of little corners and get a Poirot and, and read read one I remember the first the, the first one I read was the very last one that she ever wrote which is where he dies at the end of it um, and, and it's called <laughs> Curtain Poirot's Last Case so I can remember just sitting in the library crying it's like this person that I've literally only just started reading is now d- died but obviously there are you know 60 others uh, that I then started to read the story that you tell is an age-old story of anybody who is like picked on at school essentially that a library is the place where people will just disappear into books at times of like you know sort of anguish and pressure I mean, I, I like to hope that that still exists in schools, that the libraries are still there for people to sort of like refuge in a church, isn't it? It's sort of like the refuge of books is mm, amazing. Mm. Yes, exactly. So I was... And you read ones where people murder each other. So. Exactly. Maybe, maybe there was something psychologically going on in my head at the time. I don't know. Plotting the downfall of the bullies. Yeah. And actually some of these bullies I'm, I'm very close with now. I was about to say, do you ever speak to any of them now or...? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, some... some there's one in particular that... I say... But, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it probably wasn't that bad, but would, would be quite would sort of almost like semi-beat me up in front of other people. But, um, well, let's let's just say later on in our school career, it was quite the opposite. OK. So it's like, well, it's obviously their issue. We can read these particular lines. Yes. So it's obviously their issue, not not mine. And I don't, you know, school work... I, I came out at school when I was 16 and I, I was someone... We'll try it just in case this gets back to them, because I do still keep in touch with this person. Someone at school who was sort of in charge of my pastoral well-being uh, came up and, you know, obviously was like, oh, no, no, no problem, no problem, but you're not gay. I'm saying, mm, sorry? No, you're not gay, you're not gay. I knew someone at school who was gay at my own school. Now he's married with kids. 
time. Okay. Um, probably is gay, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and then then told me, but look, if you are caught with anyone, you'll be you'll be expelled. And were there any girls at your school? Yes, yes, there were. Oh, there were, but would that have been the same if you'd been caught with a girl? No, because somebody who will remain nameless was in fourth form, so that was a year for no, they were was fourteen, was caught having a nice time with a girl in the library, different, hopefully a different place to where I was reading my poirots. <laughs> reading poirots. Yeah. Um, and got suspended, but cut to two years later and he's head, head of school. So... <laughs> I mean, that is... But it's a girl. So, you know, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's, that's, that's accepted. That's normal. So when I was at school was still um, the, the time of... You know, when teachers weren't allowed to talk to you about it and you weren't allowed to promote it. I mean, I'm not sure that they're going around in schools now, like being like, be gay, like, you know, like, come join the army. Yeah. There's not like a stall to considering being gay. Give it a whirl. Well, but I tell you what was not. I, I was asked, I was, I've been invited back several times to talk at my school or to give lessons. And during a couple of years ago, over a summer programme they were running, during my lunch break, I'd sort of, you know, brought my own... I didn't want school food. I didn't want school food. Then I don't want school food now, thank you. So I had brought my own sandwich and went and sat on a bench and, and by the cricket pavilion and looked across at the most of the school. And I thought, it's a very pretty school. I thought it would be, look lovely on Instagram. And I think I went to go and do an Instagram. And I went, oh, my gosh, we didn't have Instagram when I was at school. I'll search my school's sort of location tag on Instagram. And there were what I can only describe as a couple of pictures during the in the feed of future queens and they were all future or current queens and I thought wow I would never have done that or stood like that or posted that so publicly and I thought that's great and then not long after it was pride I think and um, the school on their Instagram posted them flying the pride flag from the school tower yeah it's a different world now isn't it so I wrote to the headmaster, different headmaster, but I wrote to him and said, but I knew, knew knew the guy, he was a teacher when I was at school, and said that if I were at school now, that would mean so much to me. So thank you. Um, and I got a nice letter back. That's, yeah, I mean, I think that when my, my children um, are both at school and the amount, are, are they're both at, like, one's 16, one's 13, the openness about it is... Like, it's phenomenal that it, it's just not a thing so much anymore. Whereas still, I mean, I, I'm, the definitely homophobic bullying still definitely Completely, goes on without yeah. question. But, yeah, I just, I think that, like, all the kids I knew who were gay at my school and have since come out and, like, none of them would have dared to be out. Apart from one woman, I can remember the only out gay person at my school went on to be the head of Stonewall. <laughs> so that was one. And, like, people were not just not open about it back then. And they certainly wouldn't, like... I mean, we didn't have Instagram, Facebook or anything. So they wouldn't have been posting that stuff on there. So it's... Yeah, it it's definitely... Progress has been made, but... Oh, 100%. And it can feel like we're just sort of in a tide of horrible fascism at the moment and everybody having a row with everyone else. In reality, the British population has definitely progressed a lot in the last 20 years. Yeah, so I I hope that there aren't too many people at my school or others that are having to run off to, to read Poirot's to avoid, or indeed any other book. I'm sure there still is, but I would hope there are fewer. 
So Agatha, when you're writing to Agatha Christie, what I would say about I read Agatha Christie when I was around 14, the good thing about it is you can do it in a sitting. Yes. It's not, yeah. it's not like, oh gosh, you know, I've got to keep going back to this. It's not a tome. They are delightfully enjoyable books. Yeah, and people are quite two-dimensional. It's, it's not, you know, you're not reading the best, most verbose prose that you have ever read in your life. You're going, wow, look at how creative she is with language. But the stories and the plots are good. I think she is still the queen of crime. Yeah, you're right, though. Agatha Christie is unrivaled still in that, like, oh... Because you think everybody did it, essentially. Like, you suspect everybody all the way through every single one of the uh, books. Even Poirot sometimes. I think I think he did it. <laughs> yes, yeah. And Miss Marple. Well, yeah, well, I could say so much, but I won't, because I don't want to spoil it for anyone. <laughs> but, yeah, so but she had a tricky time, didn't she, Agatha Christie? Didn't she? She absconded, didn't she, for ages and disappeared? She did. It was at the breakdown, I think, of her first marriage to... Uh, oh, I forget the first guy's name, but the surname was Christie, because um, she then married Max Mallowan, and I think was a lot happier. And he was an, he was the um, the archaeologist, and that's where her sort of love for Egypt and Egyptology and, and Africa sort of came from. Um, but yeah, she she just she went away, uh, and she disappeared um, for three days. I think she went to Harrogate. I was going to say, I think I've stayed in the hotel where she went away to is the reason I know this story. It's like on a plaque that says, <laughs> this is where she was or something. Yeah, and, to, you know, today running away to Harrogate, you know, if I ran away now to Harrogate, I'd be found within about a second in this day and age. But at the time, you could sort of slip under the radar. I love that it's not even that mysterious to, like, disappear for three days. She basically went on a weekend break and everyone lost their shit. Yeah, she stuck around an <laughs> office on. That's all she did. <laughs> Nobody talked to me for three days. Bye. <laughs> but when you're a mysterious person, people, I suppose because you're writing these mysterious novels, people want to read into something that is just not there. She just had a weekend off. Just, yeah. <laughs> just, just want to rest. So what would you say to Agatha Christie, who I assume doesn't know how you felt about her? <laughs> I'm guessing. I mean, she was great, but I don't think she was that great. <laughs> Uh, how would you sign off your letter to Agatha Christie? I would say thank you for writing such diverting, interesting books that allowed me to escape and forget about real life, even for just 45 minutes at a time. Yours sincerely, William Hansen. I think that so many people in the world would want to write that letter to Agatha Christie. I think that she is, you know... She was definitely well stocked in most school libraries. Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know the book. The, you know they're not. They're not. You know, as you say, you can do them in one sitting. If a long sitting, but you can do them in one sitting. They're not. I, I mean, I don't read a, a lot of massive fiction. I'm not a big fiction reader. But my Mike has just finished reading A Little Life, which is this sort of huge book that everyone goes on about and he was sobbing halfway through it and crying and oh my it's the most interesting and upsetting book he's ever read and it's like no I don't I just want someone that sort of you know clocked around the head with a decanter of port and you know we find out it's the underbutler that's done it that that's sort of the level I want me too people often think that um like people will say to me like oh did, did you watch that um really brilliant documentary about domestic abuse and I'm like no no I watched the bake off <laughs> you know what I mean like <laughs> I want people saying the word genuine sponge over and yes. over again on my <laughs> evenings 
Like, we all know what a Genoese sponge is now. I, I, nobody knew before. Like, I, I want whimsy, actually, yes. and escapism when I'm on my clock because there's enough horror elsewhere. Uh, the escape is books and TV and things. That's not something where I want to be taught a lesson particularly. I want to be amused and I want to be delighted. I don't necessarily want to be taught a lesson. Well, it has been a total pleasure speaking to you. So we have letters to Brian Hanson and Sarah Hanson, your your parents, who will, when they read the letter, go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Their reaction That's will nice, be dear. subdued. And to Nanny Kathleen, Granny Kathleen, uh, because if she was working class, she'd go by nanny. Uh, yeah, oh, and she apparently when I was uh, conceived and you know, my mother was pregnant, she made it very clear that she is going to be granny. She's not going to be grandma. She wants to be granny. Yes, you see. So my both my uh, mother and my uh, husband's mother were both insistent that they both had to be nanny, you see. So the nanny, I think, is the working class thing, but not that's because posh people call nanny something else. Yeah, well, exactly. Uh, <laughs> that's a different thing. So, yeah, they were both nanny. So to granny, Kathleen, who sounds like a top broad uh, <laughs> and an absolute legend to me. We're sending the second letter and to Dame Agatha Christie, I shall get the etiquette right. And this is an etiquette I get wrong all the time, is not using people's titles when they have duly earned them. Dame Agatha Christie, who I also imagine was quite a piece of work. And what I am guessing, getting from your various letters, notwithstanding Brian with an I, is a strong sense of a strong woman. Yes. <laughs> a certain woman, I'm going to say. Certain, women with certainty. I mean, I hate to be a cliche, but yes. <laughs> there is a yeah. lot of that. The thing about cliches is they're true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's best to be honest, I find. I think if I spent even one more minute talking to you, I might start to sound posher. I already feel like my deportment has improved. <laughs> Your deportment's excellent. Well, it's been a total pleasure, William. Genuinely uh, a total pleasure. And I shall eat asparagus this evening in your honour. Thank you, and I'm going to go and research bees. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Jess. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips. If you want to hear more conversations just like this, make sure you follow Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips on the podcast provider of your choice. And why not write a letter to your friends telling them all about this podcast? And you can also follow us on social media. We're at Jess Phillips Pod. Goodbye. Well, we hope you enjoyed that. Thank you very much for listening. And of course, if you enjoyed what you heard and you want to hear Jess talk about letter writing with many other people, including Vicky Pattinson, Jacqueline Wilson and Lorraine, you know, the, uh, the one who is keeping the seat warm before Wendy North takes over, you can subscribe to Your Sincerely with Jess Phillips wherever you get this podcast. Thank you very much for listening. As always, see you next Tuesday. 
Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com